Pilot Boys in the building. Welcome to the Pilot Boys podcast, where you'll get the real on all things sports, music, and pop culture. I'm Mecca Don here with my co-host, B. Feeling like a kid in a candy store today. Woo! Today is April 23rd, 2020. Thank you guys for tuning in. I know you could be anywhere in the world, but you're here with us. We are quarantined still and social distancing due to this coronavirus pandemic, but we're still trying to figure out ways to bring you the best content at all costs. And V, I am excited about today's show. I mean, wow. On today's show, we will talk to, drum roll please, Eric Metcalf, three-time Pro Bowler, three-time All-Pro, Browns hero, NFL hero. Eric Metcalf will join us on the show to talk about the Browns, talk about his career, how he got to where he got, what his feelings are about the Hall of Fame, the New Jerseys, and so much more in a very, very thorough interview. You guys don't want to miss that. Thank you guys for listening. Shout out to our Patreon subscribers, man. Remember now that our Patreon subscribers will get our episodes on Wednesdays a night early. These donations help keep our show going. If you want to help keep us on air, you can donate at www.patreon.com forward slash pilot boys podcast. Don't forget, grab some wristbands at shop dot pilotboys.com let's go where the pilot boys at You're listening to the Pilot Boys Podcast. Our next guest is a three-time Pro Bowler and three-time All-Pro in the NFL. Not only is he a Browns hero, but he's an NFL hero as well. Please make some noise for Eric Metcalf. I'm good. Thanks for having me. No problem, man. So, yeah, we're going to jump right into it, man. We, uh, you know, obviously we're huge Browns, Browns fans. We're huge NFL fans and football fans. I, I was a walk-on at Ohio State. We have a, just a tremendous respect for who you are and what you've done uh, as a player and also as Browns fans, what, you know, the moments that you brought to us. One of the things that was really interesting um, about your story, obviously, is, you know, having a father, Terry Metcalf, who was an NFL player. And, you know, I just kind of wanted to get a little bit of insight from you on what was that like kind of growing up with an NFL dad and whether or not there was any pressure that was created on you to try to kind of follow in his footsteps. Well, uh, that, that he is what fueled my fire because, uh, from the, from the time I I knew I was going to play football, which was at seven years old, I wanted to be like my dad. And, and and it's a rare case because my, my mother and father, they had me when they were in high school. So, Mm. you know, so they were young. So when my dad in college, and and early into the pros, I could watch him play, right? And so and so and 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 actually know what's going on, you know, right? And so that right. and so that is what fueled me to want to play football, and I wanted to be like him and 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 be the best I could. I mean, uh, any any pressure 
that it would have been, you know, it was it was never from other people because I mean I know a lot of people wanted to see me play just because uh, my dad had played and they wanted to see if I would be like him. But right. the, but the, but all the pressure that I, I thought I felt was was what I applied on myself just because I wanted to be as good as him, if not better. And so absolutely with with everything that I did, he he was my 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 focus. Be as good as him or better, and, and, and go from there. And if it works out, it works out. If it doesn't, it doesn't. And I well, and, yeah. And well, if you ask me, I think out. I think it did. Yeah. <laughs> I you would say so. We, we think so too. Well, talk to us a little bit about some of those experiences too when you were younger. You know, what are some of the memories that you have from kind of growing up? Like you said, you were you know a lot of the uh, the uh, father son stories you hear about. It's like the dad played before the kid was really could really watch. And then by the time he grew up, the dad was kind of a memory on YouTube. Right. But in your situation, you actually got to go to games and you got to see this. What, what were some of the memories that you had from growing up and, and kind of being around the, the league? Well, you know, I, I thought my dad was the absolute man. I thought he was the biggest thing in football. I mean, you know, back then you thinking early seventies and all that. And I remember one point, you know, my dad, I think he made like a hundred thousand dollars a year, and I thought we were like the richest people in the world. You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I mean, just, you know, but it just it was just it was just it's just fun to be like I like remember you know going to class and and having show and tell, and everybody would bring toys in and bring games in, and I'd bring my dad in. Right. <laughs> you had all the, you, all, everybody wanted to be your friend after that, I bet. Right. And I'd bring my dad in, and then he would bring, like, highlight films of, of his previous season like that and show, so they'd get double for what I brought in. Then, you know, oh, I, I, I know when he went up, to, like, he went up to Canada, one of my favorite members, when he went and played for, uh, we left the Cardinals, went and played for Toronto Argonauts. And and I would go up there because I actually lived in Seattle here with my mom when he was up there at the time, and right. um, and so I would go up there in the summer. You know, they play and start Canadian football early, mm-hmm. and so I'd be in there, be there in the summer, and I'd go to practice in in their facility. I had my own locker, I had wow. my own uni- I had a, my own uniform, jersey, shoulder pads, helmet, practice with my name on it, everything, and I went to uh, practice with them. And and did all the drills in the beginning wow. of practice, and, w- and once they went on to uh, team and, and and such, I, I I dropped off. But I got to do that those kind of things. And I mean, a lot of a lot of kids, even who have fathers that play football, don't get that opportunity because they're not right. letting that happen, right? But but back then, I got that opportunity, and that was it was it was a lot of fun. I knew I wanted to be a, you know, a football player. So I wanted. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about, okay, you had your father, uh, who was obviously your inspiration, but then you started to probably become a star in your own right. Once, once you started playing high school football, you take us into a little bit of your high school career and then your recruitment. How did you end up at Texas? Well, actually in my mind, I was a star when I first started playing. (laughs) <laughs> we all are right? we all are right yeah. Yeah. I, I mean but I can say that I scored like 10 touchdowns one game and when I was 7 years old and they caught 3 back so I guess I was, <laughs> wow. and, and they put me and they put me on TV wow. <laughs> but, but, but you know high school it was it was different for me because you know I, I'm 
I don't know if you know that I'm, I'm younger than my class. So I graduated high school in 85, but I should have graduated in 86. Uh, when I went to high school, I was 13 years old. Mm. And so, and, and, and to, to go forward, when I went to college, I, I was 17 and I played my entire first season at 17 and then turned 18 in January. Wow. And so, you know, I think high school was different for me because I, I was here in Seattle when I first started high school and I went to an all boys school that, that didn't allow freshmen to play varsity football. Mm-hmm. But, but in my, in my mind, I thought I can talk to them. I can convince them. They'll see me play and I can convince them to let me play on this, on this team. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and it didn't happen. They only let me play freshman football, which we only had five games and those five games were against three teams, <laughs> which, right. which, which really upset me because I was only 13. I could have still played little league with all my friends and played 11 games and, right. just, and had, and had lots of fun and won another championship. So, be, so I'm telling you this because, because of that, I transferred and I went to Virginia with my dad when he was finishing with the Redskins. I told mm-hmm. that school, if you don't let me play Varsity as a freshman, I will not be here next year. Wow. And so, and so I went to Virginia. And so I finished my last uh, three years of high school in Virginia and, and, that's because I wanted to play football in the South. And yeah. so, so I figured if I was over there somewhere, I could go play football in the South if I do what I'm supposed to do. And so, you know, I, I, I did fairly well in, in high school. And then I had a, and then the, the, the colleges started coming. So I took a visit to Notre Dame, Nebraska, Georgia, Miami, and Texas. And those are, those are schools I visit. And, and, you know, and I was a big, a big track guy also. So that, that played an uh, important part of where I wanted to go to school. So my, my mom and dad always wanted me to go to Notre Dame. So I went to Catholic school my entire life. Um, but I did actually com- commit to the university of Miami. And I did that within two hours of my visit. <laughs> you know how Miami right. was back then. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. Oh, boy. So you can imagine somebody who just 17 years old on a visit in Miami. I'm like, this is it. I am, I'm coming right. here. And, right. and, and, and their track team wasn't very good. So I was willing to say some get track. I want right. to be in Miami. And so I, uh, and so after I committed to Miami, uh, and all the schools stopped calling me, of course, uh, my parents did not, they were not having it. They did not want me to go to Miami. So, but I was still trying to convince them until the, the bitter end that that was the school for me. And so I didn't actually tell Miami that I wasn't coming there until signing day. Mm. And so at, at that point, I told them I wasn't coming there. My parents were like, how about Notre Dame? I said, but I'm not going to Notre Dame. And I kind of <laughs> opened up and I kind of opened up recruiting again. And then Texas came back and, and I was like, I liked it when I was down there. Good weather. I'll be able to uh, have fun and success in, in track as well. I'm going to Texas, and so that's that's how that played out. And then and now I say, if uh, even though we didn't win a lot of games when I was there, if I had to do it all again, over again, I'd go to Texas again. So I wanted to ask about your recruitment itself. Like you gave you gave us some 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 depth into that. 
But if you look at recruiting today with the hoopla that's around it, signing day announcements, people being on on their on the radars in eighth grade, was it was it that way back then? Uh, still, how how were how were you found, and when did you start generating hype, and 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 how heavy was your recruitment? You know, I almost feel like uh, my recruitment was only generated because of track. You know, I, I don't, I don't, when I first, especially when I was first got to Virginia, I was only a sophomore. And once again, like I'm, I'm 14 years old. Right. And so yeah. I don't really think people are, are thinking about me, but, and so my, my sophomore year up there, I, I broke my thumb. So I only played maybe three or four games that year. And uh, so people didn't really know me as, as, a, as a football player, but a lot of people knew me as a track guy. Uh, especially in, in the in the long jump, and so I would go to uh, I'd try to meet there'd be colleges there. They'd see me, they'd talk to you. You know, then you could talk whenever you wanted. It wasn't a big thing, right? And so and so, I think a lot of track coaches uh, who saw me at meet kind of influenced uh, football programs to look at me because they wanted me. The track teams wanted me, and they figured. I was a football player, so these guys, the football programs, should start looking at me. And 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 in my junior year, I had a, a really good year. My team was really good, so they, a lot of teams started, a lot of colleges started coming to look at me. And, and a lot of times, it's because they were looking at the other teams as well. Uh, and so they were they were coming to see guys who were ranked higher than us, or teams that were ranked higher than us, and and, and we were beating them, and and I was leading the show. So I think that. That that kind of led to it also. So you know, it it, it really track track. I think is really the, the the driving force behind it because Texas never sent me a letter ever. Oh wow! But the, but their uh, track guy, track track coach who ended up becoming the football uh, recruiting coordinator, saw me at a meet and we we set up and and, and we were talking about. Uh, the meet and he was asking me my event and I said the long jump and he said how are you going to do I said I'm going to win <laughs> <laughs> he always talks about that to the death that I'm going to win I, I guarantee you I'm going to win and then so I won came back and we started talking he's like what's your name I told him he said your dad he asked me about my dad and so you know that's when he so he goes back and tells the football coaches you should recruit this guy more so because he wanted me as a track guy. And so yeah. I like it once again, track was the driving force, I think, behind my recruitment. So speaking of that too, you know, when you talk about about track, you know, obviously you are a two time NCAA long jump champion and a football star at Texas, right? So balancing both of those things. And I remember even when I was playing in, in the you know, late nineties, early two thousands, it was much more common to see kind of the two sport athletes, well mostly the football and the track guys. I don't feel like you see it as much now as you used to see it back then. Do you do you feel that same way? And if you and if you if you do, why do you think that is? Because is it is it coaches being more selfish or is it just is it something else? And also, how did track how did track help? How do you feel like running track helped you as a football player too? As an addition, okay. So, so I, I I feel like not. I feel like I know exactly like that. That coaches don't allow really allow uh, football players to to run track as much as they used to, unless they're just absolute superstars on the track. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I, and you know, and I know it's, it's 
more of a control thing. We want you to be with our guys. We want to make sure you're doing everything that everybody else is doing to have you ready for spring ball and and in the flow and everything like that. And so it's I I think it's a problem. I, yeah. I, 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 I really think it's a problem because, I mean, when you really think about it, when, when, a, when a guy's college football career is over and he wants to go to the combine or they're having pro day, what is the first thing everybody mentions? The 40. The 40, yeah. It's the 40. I've got to get my 40 faster. Well, if you ran track, you probably could have because these are yeah. the fastest guys in the world, and they know how to get fast. Right. And these coaches know to make people fast. So I would think that a college coach, football coach, would want my, my guy who's fast to go out there and compete in this sport. We're getting faster because now our team becomes faster. But it's a control thing, having thing, having guys around and all that. And so it, it's not as prevalent as it was back then. And and I think uh, just me doing track, and, and I wasn't as much as a sprinter once I got to college, it was a, a long jump, a long jump was my thing so but it was an event that i worked on every day and you still had to be fast and you have to run down the runway mm-hmm. but it but i think it helped me in football in that it taught me a lot of a lot of body control you know mm-hmm. you have to run you have to run down a runway almost full speed at that board get yourself ready to to, to jump and be in position to, to carry your body 27 feet yeah and so yeah. and so and so that that's really hard if you don't if you don't know what you're doing and you have to you have to constantly work on that and that's the body control that i think uh helped me in football because when i go on the football field now i'm able to run around run as fast as i can make a cut mm-hmm. kind of slow down but then get back to full speed almost immediately and things like that because these are things that i have worked on in 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 track Right. And then during my time at Texas, uh, my first year, I, I did track with no problem. The coach was cool. But then we had uh, my first and second year, I'm sorry. Then going into my junior year, we had a change of coaches. And they wanted me to do spring ball. And I was like, no, I'm not doing it. I'm, I run track. And so, you know, they just like they told me, if you don't, if you don't uh, go to spring ball, then you're, you're not going to start in the fall. I say, well, that's a chance that I'll have to take. Mm. And 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 I and I and I I know and I tell you that because I think there are a lot of guys who could actually do that, right? Yeah. But they but they choose they choose not to and they don't want to listen to the mouths of the coach because they feel like they're in control more more so now than than guys like me did and you did back in the past. Right. right. And the interesting thing you talked about Texas, obviously Texas football. One other question. We had about that before we move into to more of some of the pro stuff is, you know, looking at the program now, right? You said that if you could do it all over again, you would have gone to Texas. So I, I imagine that you're still kind of in tune with the program. What do you see in the program now in the hands of Tom Herman and the direction they're moving? Are you optimistic or pessimistic? How do you feel about the program as it is now? I, I feel like we're headed in the right direction. I mean, I know now even before uh, Coach Herman got there with, with, with Coach Strong that uh, we were starting to get all the Texas kids to stay in Texas again. You know, mm-hmm. we weren't we weren't losing them to Oklahoma and 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 A&M and, you know, A&M's in Texas, SEC, so they're 
technically technically leaving Texas, right? right? And so I think Coach Strong started, and now uh, Coach Herman has, has kept it rolling, and we're continuing to have uh, top ten recruiting classes, which mm-hmm. is which is great. Right. But we need those top ten recruiting classes to to show up on Saturdays, and that whether it be those guys making plays or the way they're being coached, because although we have these great coaching, uh, I mean, these great recruiting classes, we're winning eight games. Right. Yeah. Eight games doesn't get you anything. No. You know? that in, in some cases, that only gets you third or maybe even fourth in the conference. Mm-hmm. And, and, and now you're playing a, a bowl game. So what is uh, missing then? Because you guys obviously have talent, right? And you have, I mean, Tom Herman at least was a capable offensive coordinator at Ohio State. We obviously know him very well. What do you think is missing? What what is missing? What's the difference between you guys winning eight games and let's say eleven games right right now as it is? I, I think it's just been. I think in, the, in over the course of the last few years, especially since Tom, Coach Herman's been there, they've been in games. They've 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 beaten Oklahoma. They've been, they've won. Uh, Sugar Bowl. They've beaten. They've won big games. Beat SC, uh, but we're not winning the games that we're supposed to win. We're struggling. Or even though we're winning, we're beating Kansas. We're barely beating them. We're losing to. We lose to Iowa State after we just beat Oklahoma the week before Oklahoma State or TCU. And that. And and, and I and I think it's we're not because they've been so young. I think that they're not mature enough to handle. The success, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's just when they're not winning games and they're like toss that away because it's over. Let's move on because we gotta we gotta get ready for this game. And 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 all and it's very easy to say that you are doing that. But when right. when you're in when you're in college, you're 18, 19, 20, 21 years old. You got everybody telling you you're great and everything. Yeah, and social media and, now too. And the parties exactly out, the parties after wins are are, are long, right? So. Right. Are you really are you really preparing like you should be? Did you really toss that that win that you just had away and, and prepare for the next week? And I think that's the point. That's the uh, the hump that we got to get over because we're winning big game. We're beating Oklahoma. We're 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 doing that, and that's what we have to pretty much beat to win the conference. We're doing that, but then, like I said, we're losing to losing games right after that we should not lose, and that's keeping us from being in the playoffs, which we haven't done yet. Right, right. So let's transition a little bit to to your pro pro career. I mean, obviously, like I told you at the beginning, we're huge Browns fans. Uh, that's kind of how we so met, kind of on social media, right? It's kind of through the Browns Browns Nation, right? And, right. you know, when when you were drafted, you were drafted in uh, 1989, 13th overall. And I think they actually showed that draft the other day. Yes, talk, talk to us yeah. a little bit yeah, yesterday. Yeah, I saw you, you tweeting about it. Talk to us a little bit about, about what that was like. First of all, like the preparation for the draft and, you know, what you felt like, where, you, where did you think you were going to go? And then also when you were finally drafted by the Browns, what did that feel like and what were your impressions of, of the Browns? Okay, so I um, – I, Going into it, I wanted to. I, I really wanted to go to the Rams. I wanted to go to LA and be in LA. I had uh, a friend who played in Jerry Gray, who played for the Rams at the time, and I trained with him when he came back to Austin all season. Uh, he wore number two of Texas before me, and so that's that's why I really wanted to go because I thought that would be the place for me. Um, but I thought that I was going to go to the Jets. 
Mm. I, 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 and I, I, I guess everybody thought that. What pick did they have? Fourteen. Oh, okay. <laughs> and and so uh, I think the Browns were at twenty prior to the draft, and it's it, 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 that's what makes it even crazy. And I like I tweeted about it yesterday that uh, Michael Lombardi came to visit me like four days before the draft, and he wanted and he came to me and he asked me to do a, a agility test, and I would not do it. He said, we flew, he was like, I flew all the way down. They were talking about drafting. I need to do this test so I can go back. And I said, I'm not doing it. I just, I actually just finished playing basketball. <laughs> he, he said, he said, he said the test didn't really matter. He just needed to, because I didn't do it at the combine or anything. I didn't do anything. And I didn't do it at pro day. He said, it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean anything. It's not going to change anything. We just need to have record that you did something. And I said, that sounds good. But what if I don't do this as fast as you think I should? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, my, now you change your mind. Right. Because, I, because I'm a smaller guy already. And so speed is all I have. And so if you think I'm not as fast as uh, if you saw on film, then we, we have a problem. And so, you know, moving forward, we get to the draft. And uh, I'm sitting with all my family watching the draft. And... Uh, I hear Commissioner Roosevelt mention the trade. And I looked at my mom and I said, I'm about to get drafted. Mm. And, and everybody was like, you're crazy. I, know. I, said, <laughs> I said, the Browns are about to draft me. And then they heard it. Oh, and I was man. like, and I, and I said, I told you. And I knew that because I, I knew what Mike had told me and, the, and I knew the Jets had the next pick. Right. And that's where I probably would have gone. And so... At that very moment when I was drafted, I was I was ecstatic because you know that's a lifelong dream. All you think about is playing in the NFL when you're when you're growing up as a kid, yeah. and I and I'm finally gonna have that opportunity. I in my mind, I never thought I would be a Cleveland Brown. I never thought I would. And uh, Art called me, asked me about it, and, and about do it, if I like it. And I was like, yeah. And then I said, I have one request. And he's like, what is that? I said, I need to wear number 21. Mm. That, that, that was my only request. And, uh, and they said, we could do that. I, I, you know, so moving forward, I go there. Uh, now it's mini camp. And it's May. And it's snowing. Welcome to Cleveland. And I'm thinking, oh, this ain't going to work. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm coming from Austin, Texas playing in 70, 80 degree weather right. every week on artificial turf, right. which makes you a lot faster. Now I'm coming to Cleveland where it's going to be snowing on natural grass. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know how this is going to work for me. Right. And at that and time, you, up, guys were, you guys were sharing the stadium with the Indians too, right? Right. And <laughs> and, yeah. And then, we, uh, and then I end up holding out. I only played in one preseason game. I didn't even get to go to uh, London with the team or anything. So I held out, played in one preseason game, uh, got through all that, got into the real game. And from that day on, I fell in love with Cleveland. Mm. You know, I, I, I just, I just, and you know, and I think, and obviously it's because I was having success on the football field and, and everybody 
they 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 like me and I and I like the fans and so that that made it a lot easier and so that absolutely and and but because because of the way it turned out and the way the fans treated me, I, I've only wanted to be associated with the Cleveland Browns. I don't even care that I play for what, five other teams. You know, one one thing that you said that you that you know I was, I'm going to ask you a little bit more about the Browns, but before I do that. There, I've, I've sensed kind of a constant theme throughout your life in terms of how you've operated, which I admire greatly. It, it, you know, from your your high school when you said, "Look, I'm not you. You don't put me on varsity. I'm I'm leaving." You know, to and then you met and you left and you went to Virginia to Texas when you know you said the new coach came in and said, "You know, we need you at spring ball." And you're like, "Well, I'm going running track." And he's like, "Well, you're not going to start." And you're like, "Well, I'll take my chances." To going to Cleveland and holding out, right? It seems like you just always seem like you had this like unwavering confidence and belief in yourself and, and always stood up for kind of your principle. What where where did that come from? How did you how did you just even have the confidence to kind of operate like that at all these different levels, even from a young age all the way to you being a pro? I, I, it's, it's pretty simple. I get to, to watch my dad. You know, yeah. and, and and a lot of a lot of players don't don't have that. I mean, they they have they get to watch their dads and, and other jobs and and operate as a man and, and and still be able to teach him teach his son how to be a man. But I got to watch my dad and learn how to be a man and learn how to the business of football and and things like that went on. And so, right. so so with with that in mind, just just knowing and and. Just knowing from the time that I, I was a kid that that I was good, I, I, and I stuck to that. I believe that I am this good regardless of what someone says. This is who I'm. I am gonna be. And and my dad used to, had always told me that when he was in high school, uh, someone told him he would never make it because it was too small. Mm. So he should he should he should not worry about being a football player. And he said that is what what drove him to becoming who he was as, as a player. And he was telling me, never let someone tell you that you're too small to do anything. And so with that in mind, I always kept that kept that in, in the back of my mind because this is this is who I wanted to be from from the, the time I was a kid. I practiced I practiced my autograph as a young age. I copied my dad <laughs> because I knew one day this who I was going to be. And, and I think, like I said, it was just because I got to watch him on multiple levels that they, that gave me that confidence to have confidence in myself. I mean, because you have confidence, but knowing that he told me to be like this, uh, be a certain way and what he was told, I know this really works if I, I believe in myself. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I love that. I love that. Go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, no. So one of the things I was gonna, you know, first of all, that's that's awesome because I I'm a father now. I have a two year old son, and and I firmly believe one of the most important things that you can give your children is confidence, right, to navigate this world because it's a cold world out here, and you know if they don't believe in themselves, a lot of people, other people won't. Um, but I also want to get back to some, some of the brown stuff, like when you actually got there, right, and you know some of your impressions um, when you got there. First of all, there are a lot of legends on that team. <laughs> you know, uh, Browns legends and just NFL stars that when you first got to the Browns and what was your impression of kind of some of your teammates at that time? And, um, you know, what were your thoughts on the division as well that you were playing in? You know, obviously I think it's, you know, Houston and, um, 
the Steelers and obviously the Bengals. What was your impression of that when you got there? You know, like like going into it, I'd never, like I said, I'd never thought really out of the Cleveland Browns. I, I mean, I had a friend who I played with the Texans, Stephen Bragg, who was at Cleveland two years ahead before me. Um, and even when I got there, and so I, I watched him because he was playing, but I, I never really thought of uh, that, that AFC Central at the time uh, because uh, because I, I grew up a, a Charger fan. Right. And, and so that's, I always thought about the AFC West, Chargers, right. Raiders, uh, then the Seahawks and, and, and the Chiefs. And so, and so, um, and I, I really didn't take that into account, uh, going into it. But when I, I finally got to Cleveland and we're playing Pittsburgh, our first game of the season and, and I'm, Listen to all the players. I'm listening to the coaches, Bud Carson, who coached both. Um, I'm listening to all the, the fans talk about this rivalry and the Steelers and everything. And I'm like, what the hell is so what's so big about this? It's pro football. It's not like college, right. you know, where, where you have these rivalries that have been going on. And and so then we, we beat them 51 nothing. I understand. I'm watching how people are acting and responding to this, and 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 I and I. And I soon learned that, for the most part, if you're gonna win that division, you had to beat Pittsburgh, mm-hmm. and still, and it's still to this day. Yeah, really, really, yeah. truly. <laughs> I mean, Baltimore's had their time every year, but when it's all said and done, if you want to win that division, you got to beat Pittsburgh. Right. And 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 I and I learned that quickly, but but then after going through the division against uh, you know the Bengals, uh, Steelers, and the Oilers at the time. I sensed the rivalry. I sensed uh, how it was more like a college atmosphere to me, and 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 I and I and I really love that about being in that division because these are, are really bitter bitter rivalries, yeah. and and I like it and I love it because that's what makes the competition so better, so much more better. And I you know, and I just and and I enjoyed it, but. And, and going back to all these stars and, and everything on the team, these guys have been to the AFC Championship and hadn't got gotten over the home. Uh, and, and I walked in and I was like, I'm me. And this is who I'm going to be. And they're going to like me or they're not going to like me. And, and and I have to tell the story because it's funny. Kevin Mack, Reggie Langhorn, two of my closest friends who I ever played with, and we still talk all the time now, said when I first got there that they didn't like me. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Both of them. Because <laughs> I was, you know, I, they thought, I thought that I was the first first pick and I was just too cool. Right. <laughs> right. But, but, my, but my thing, what I told them, and I will tell them to this day, I never thought I was too cool. I just expected to be here. Yeah. Right. There's a big difference between that, and there's a there's a big difference, and 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 once we started hanging out, once we once I started going to practice, once we hung out after after practice, started playing game, they started to love me. I started to love them, you know, and and that's why we're friends to this day, and we're brothers to this day because we had those we were able to build those bonds in that locker room on and off the field, and it's and, it, and it's a special time. Yeah, that was a very, very special time. 
full disclosure, you were my favorite player on the team during those years. So. Same. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate it. And, did, did you have a 21 jersey? Yes, I did. I used to I used to act like you when I play, when I was running around the yard playing football. Obviously couldn't so you, wasn't as fast or, or as quick, but I thought I was. So. <laughs> so you so you don't still have it. I don't I don't still have it. But um, okay, okay. But I, I, I reminisce very fondly of those days. And, and what was so special about you is you were really a revolutionary player that we had never seen before as fans, right? Like you played running back, you lined up at receiver, you returned kicks, you returned punts, and it seemed like every time, even though you probably only got ten to fifteen total touches in a game, that you were explosive and that any one of those times it could go for a touchdown. Did they have a plan? Did they know they were going to use you like that? Or did, was that something that happened through that first training camp? You know, I think when, to, to be honest about it, I think my entire career, no one really knew how they were going to use me, you know? And, and, and I think that, I, I think that's why it, in this day and age, if I were playing today the way they play football, I'd be holding out because I'd touch the ball in so many different ways that I, I'd be like Christian McCaffrey, you know, having a lot of rushes, a lot of uh, receptions. But, but I think if when I was in, in first training camp, like, like I said, I came late. Um, and then we still had uh, K-Mac, Tim and Noah, uh, Keith Jones was there. Uh, Barry Red ended up coming, and and so I don't know if anyone really knew how they wanted to use me. They knew I played running back my entire life, and I'd never been pl- played uh, played receiver, but I could catch the ball. And so I think going in, in my first in my first year, I think Mark Trustman did a good job. I mean, of course, I would love to have the ball more, but I came late. And then just trying trying to fit me in, and so, but but I, I was able to carry the ball a lot. I was able to uh, uh, catch the ball a lot, and and, and then return kickoffs, not punts, because we had we had ice cubes still. So I didn't return punts, which which is funny because that's what people know me as right now, the punt returner, right? Yeah. And so and so uh, so I I think I think. I thought that's how I was going to be used my entire career, you know, maybe 700 yards rushing and, and, and the same receiving and then returning punts and kicks. And it just never, it never transpired like that. Uh, maybe only a, a couple of times after, but it never really, I, I don't think I was used to my full potential. I think, do, you think, uh, do you think your game now or your game would be more suited for the NFL now? And, and how, would, how do you think you would fit in? to come in the NFL oh, I, game today. I think I was getting busy today. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I mean, you know, I mean, every, it's, it's everybody's basically playing running two, right? Yeah, right. The three, three receivers, one tight end, one back, what have you, or four or five receivers, empty backfields and all that. And so I could be playing all over the place. So I, I think I would, I would thrive in that. And so, I would I would love to play today because back in back when I was first coming to the league, it was three guys in the cloud of dust. Everybody was still lining up in the in the eye and and playing smash mouth uh, football in between the tackles. And and that's not my game. I mean, I could do it from time to time, but I couldn't do it 
25 times right and and, and expect to be successful at it i mean because when i think of myself as a football player i, I think of myself, i'm a football player therefore i can do multiple things mm-hmm. I, I think that's what makes me a football player and so as long as i had the ball 20 times it doesn't have to be in between tackles 20 to 20 25 times it could be 10 rushes five five receptions uh five five returns and you have 20 you have 20 touches and i and i think if someone touches the ball 20 times they should be able to do something with it and that's why right. i think if i if i were able to play today i could make it count with those 20 20 touches because the field is so spread out yeah absolutely yeah and i, and I wanted to, to hone in you said that you are known mostly for your punt returns i wanted to ask you there's only a there are only a handful of guys that belong in that conversation of the best best punt returners ever. What is it about that specific skill set that's different? Like, what does it take um, to be a great punt returner? Because it's it's a very special skill that not a lot of guys throughout history have had at the level that you and a handful of other guys have. Uh, blocking. (laughs) (laughs) That's That's an honest answer. But I I, I think, for me, I think uh, the the most important skill is the the ability to to make people miss. Mm -hmm. Because because when you're you're returning uh, punt, someone is always going to be unblocked. Yeah. Yep. Someone's always there, they, and it's usually the the snapper. Someone someone's gonna be unblocked, and so you have to be able to to make the, the guy miss, and then be able to 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 move around, maneuver to get to the wall or whatever return you have set up. And 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 sometimes it doesn't get set up like uh, like you want or, or perfectly, and you have to be able to, to to get through there and make people miss and, and, and score a touchdown. And I think that's what the the best uh, returners do. They they catch the ball, and you don't really have to take people out. Just get in their way a little bit, and and I'll and I'll handle the rest. Uh, not, and that's Prime did it. You know, Dante Hall was one of my favorite because he was like they said a human joystick, right? And Devin yeah. Hester, of course, has set the record, and, and Brian Mitchell is doing a great job. But when I say that, everybody who's done it can make people miss regardless of, of whether they were blocking that. And I think that's, that's the key to it. Yeah. And you are a good kick returner too. A great kick returner too, which is also yeah. not to either you're good at one or the other. You are good at both. Great. At you know, what's, what, what's crazy about that is when, uh, when I got in the NFL, I, I did not want to return punts. Mm. And I was, so I was happy that we had Q because they only uh, had me returning kicks. Mm-hmm. And and so then Belichick comes and he he's the one who switched me to the punt returner, mm. and and he just came to me and said, "You say you want the ball more, you'll get the ball more. You're guaranteed to get the ball what, four or five times returning punts, and so yeah. you, you, you'll be our best guy doing it. So you should go back there and do that." And I said, and I bought into it. But then they slowly took me off the kickoff return. And, and and I and I always said I didn't want to return punt because it just looked dangerous to me. Yeah, 
Yeah. And 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 all I've done in my all my life, you know, when you're in high school and you're a kid, the ball just rolls around. You pick it up and you and you run and, and if you're faster than everybody, you outrun them. And that's and that's right. that's what it is. Now we're talking about being, doing it in the pros. Mm-hmm. These guys get paid to come down there and take you out. Right. And so and so I, that's what I was thinking in my mind. But you know, I, you get to thinking about when the, when the ball is punted to you, you could always fair catch it. Mm-hmm. You can always let it hit the ground, and your team still gets the ball. Right. So there's no penalty behind that. So mm-hmm. then, if they kick it to you and they mess up, and it's a line drive or something, then you just take it to the house. Right. And so this, right. This, 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 this could actually be fun. And, you know, so once I start scoring, take it, I'm like, yeah, I'd like this to get that kickoff. So these guys stay in their lanes, and they try to take you out. And it's, and it's hard to block somebody who's running full speed down the field. So I don't trust the blockers on the kickoff return as much as I do those guys in the return. <laughs> right. <laughs> another question, too. Um, Webster Slaughter, he was another one of our, our favorite players. And, you know, when he left to, to Houston, that was kind of a big deal. What were, Do you remember, you know, that time period? And what, what were your thoughts when that kind of happened? Because NFL trades weren't as big of a deal back then, you know, or free agent signings and different things as they are now. I mean, they're so prevalent now, but what was that like? In, in division to arrival. Right. Yeah, it, it was weird because Webb was one of my brothers, one of the guys I hung out with every day, yeah. you know, and, and even even off the field. And so it, it was hard, especially going to Houston, right? Yeah. And, and, and and so to see that, and, and then even Lang went and Bernie went and, and K-Mac's gone, it's like it, it, it happened in a big way. And so it's, it's just like something that you don't want to see because you always think, especially when you're younger, that this is going to be your team forever. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and it's not going to be. And, you know, they tell you when you get to training camp, don't get too close to that guy. He might not be here mm. next day. And so – you know, you're so used to being with these guys as your brothers that you're in the locker room, you share good and bad times with, and then they're gone. So that just that just changes your perception of uh, of, of the the job, the the right. job part of it, the professional part of it, not not the organization, but the fact that when it's all said and done, this is a business, and you have to mm-hmm. look out for yourself. You have to take care of your business on and off the field if you're going to be successful. Absolutely. And one other question, too, when the Browns, you know, obviously this was later, but when the Browns actually decided, um, you know, to move, what were your thoughts on that? How, you know, I mean, I know, you know, what? yeah, just tell us, what were your thoughts on that? Because, you know, that was devastating for us as Browns fans when it happened. Well, I, I had already been traded, but I still thought it was the craziest thing ever, right? Mm-hmm. Because I um, – and 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 I can say it now. In in my and it wouldn't have happened. But looking back, I wish I could have played my entire career in Cleveland. Mm. I, I I really do. I I wish nothing. I would I wish everything would have been went right. Whether we won Super Bowl or not, you know, I, I just wish I could experience my whole career in Cleveland because I, I really enjoyed playing for the Cleveland Browns. And I yeah. and, and it took and it took me going to other places yeah. to, to to really see that because when I was in Cleveland I was asking to be traded and that was basically because 
the way I was being used. And I felt like I would have more opportunities going other places. And so, uh, so with the team moving, going back to with the team moving, it, it, it really hurt me as if I was still there because I, I truly, uh, I truly felt for the fans. I, I, I really, appreciate the, the love that the fans have for the players and that they have for me and that and that team. And so I I knew what it meant to the to the city of Cleveland and Northeast Ohio. And so that that's that was that was hard for me because I as if I were playing there. Yeah. Because I I I just love the fact uh, that I can say that I was a Cleveland Brown and for that period of time that team was gone. Yeah and and, and I wanted to ask you because the culture when you were playing in Cleveland was one of expectations, right? Like you guys were competitive pretty much every year and, and the fans expected for the team to win consistently. It seems like since the team left and came back, um, obviously the struggles are well-documented. Um, the mistake by the lake, all those things started coming into, into, into normalcy. Like, what do you think, um, needs to happen for this organization to get back to the culture that was there when you were playing. But I, I think we're, we're we're finally getting there. Uh, I, I know my my complaints and my in, in the past have been too much turnover. You know, <laughs> especially especially early. It's just like. Different coach every two years, different quarterback every two years, a whole different offense, different defense style of defense, and we're doing this every every few years. And and so there's you're not building a program. We were, I think we're too too worried about winning right now instead of trying to build a program that will sustain. And 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 I think uh, with, with with John Dorsey and those guys when he got here, he was. He was headed in that direction as far as building a program, and so it set it up where a lot of pieces are were in, and and I mean I don't know if I, I do know I was about to tell a lie, but I don't know if Freddie was the right guy. I do know that he wasn't the right guy. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so and so and, and so that was the one thing I, I I didn't like, but but bringing in. The pieces because during during the time we were losing lots of games, we didn't really have that many good good players like the Browns had in the past. Yeah, right. And so and so now I think with, with the acquisitions that uh, John Dorsey made and now that Andrew is making, there there are very there are a lot of very good players in place and and. And, and and so now that they're putting the team together, and I think uh, Coach Stefanski will, will will lead us to victory because and, and it's going to be so sweet that they're going to start winning again in the old school uniforms. I love. It. I was going to ask you about that too about the, the uniforms. Here. You know, they just revealed you know the new uniforms. What do you are, the, are those the ones that you like? Do you have a specific uh, combination that you like more than another more than another one? Well, well, I, I was. I had been waiting for the, the uniforms to be unveiled. And when they came out and they was like, I was like, I was excited. I was like, yeah, I felt like, oh, I would look good in that. That was the first time <laughs> in my, I, was, I would look good in that because it looked almost just like what I wore. But my favorite combination is the white, all white 
Yeah. It's the white on white. And I mean, you know, that's, and I think it has to do with me being in Texas, you know, wearing the, the tidy whities you know, the iced out. And so that's what I'm, I'm, and I'm used to. So that's, that's what I like because you look so much faster in it. It's clean. Yeah, it's, it's super clean. And one other question on, on the current Browns is, is Baker Mayfield. When you look at him and his skill set, do you look – obviously he has a certain level of, of talent that no one can deny. But do you think that he's a transcendent type of talent, like the guy that can win you, you win the Super Bowl because of him? Or do you just think that he's a good piece that obviously with other good pieces around him can, you know, can be a contributing factor to winning? I, I actually think he's better than good, mm. and, and 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 we have a lot of players who can make him look a lot better mm. if if every if, if everyone does their job. I think I think uh, his first year when he came in and took over for for Tyra and, and won some games. Uh, I think that brought on a lot of expectations from not only the team but the the the, the fans. But when you think about it. During that time, they won a lot of meaningless games. In right. fact, every every one of those games was meaningless. They beat one team that made it to the playoffs that year, and that was Baltimore before Lamar, right? Right. Yeah. Right. And, and and so everybody had all these expectations, and now we we go to last year, which was the second season, and it doesn't turn out like everyone expected. And and I think just going back and looking at it, it was it was. Uh, and putting too much pressure on on Baker, you know, and, yeah. and he, he he's the leader of the team and he's the quarterback. And I when I when I looked at how they were running offense, I thought about it. I thought it, it looked like Freddie was just trying to do Baker solid and make him the star, right? Mm. Whereas it's his team. He's the quarterback. He's always going right. to be the star. Right. But the real star is number twenty four, Nick Chubb. Mm, yep. yep. Say it again. <laughs> <laughs> and that, and 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 you can say I'm biased because I play running back. also, but that is who is the real star. And he could yep. he could he could have carried that team to more victories if would have given him the ball and pounded and then made the plays with the with the receivers that we have and Jarvis and, and Odell and and all those guys. And they had Kareem Hunt as the backup too, so ground and pound really made sense, right? So. Right, and Kareem, and, and you know, and Kareem is a, a very versatile player. So you could put both of the, the Nick and Kareem on the field at the same time, and you never know what's going to happen. It's just a matter of knowing how to manage all that talent, all these egos, and and, and keep everybody happy, but doing it in the, in the structure of winning for the team. Man, you're getting me excited, man. I, I, I first of all, I, I hope there's a season. And I guess my question to you next is, what do you feel about if there is no season or if we had to have a season with no fans? Obviously, that's much better than no season. What are your thoughts on kind of what that would mean for football? Man, there better be a season. (laughs) 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 You know, I I honestly don't believe there is uh, any way that the NFL won't have a season. I mean, I would be 100. I would believe 100% that the NFL will have a season because the NFL – can't survive without fans in the seats. Mm-hmm. They still have a big TV contract and right. they still have uh, local TV markets where everybody can still see those games. And so they'll still get 
get the following that they need. So I think uh, I, I think it was it was still work. We don't want that to happen. We want to be in the stand, right? Or, right. or or in a suite or wherever we have to be to, to enjoy it. But we want to see it because that's that's what it's all about, especially when you have high expectations, you have all these players and you and you and this could be a, a very good year for the Browns and and it would be even more painful for Browns fans if this was one of their best years in in many years. And you couldn't be in the seats to see it, right? right. Yeah, absolutely. I ha- I had one one more question about the current team for you, and and that goes to um, Odell Beckham, right? He's obviously a transcendent talent. Anyone who's seen the guy play knows that he has a superhuman skill set. But it seems like that full potential hasn't been unlocked consistently anywhere he's been, right? Whether it's New York injuries have played a role. What do you think the organization kind of needs to do um, to unlock the full potential of, of this beast that we have? I think they need to uh, do pretty much what they did with him in, in New York. I mean, when, when, we, when we talk about last year's team and everybody says that it wasn't an Odell-like season, but he still had 1,000 yards in a season where – Everybody thought he didn't do anything, right? He still had a thousand yards, and there's been receivers who would kill to have a thousand yards in a season, right? And and but 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 my, my issue with with last season is uh, all these the, the routes that they ran, where everything seemed to be so deep, right? Mm-hmm. Every, everybody, because everybody, if you ask anybody, any Cleveland Browns fan, they would say the weakest part of our team was offensive line. Yep. Right. last year. That's what right. everyone would say. So if that's the case, why are you putting all the pressure on them to hold guys for five seconds so these guys right. can get down the field on all these deep routes? Yeah. Let these superstars be superstars. Throw them the ball five, ten yards, and let mm-hmm. them turn it in the 60s. Right. Yep. And, and that's what Odell had done in his, when he was having his, his success. Catching slants, taking it 60 yards. Yep. Absolutely. So and that's a couple more. A couple more questions uh, uh, before we before we get you out of here. You know, we first of all, talking this football, my juices are flowing. I'm sure if you've been around football enough, I'm sure your juices are flowing. Just talking about this, right? Thinking of what it could be, especially if you're a Browns fan, seeing all the talent that's there and see and seeing what it could be. Um, but one of the things that we want to make sure we get from you before you go too is 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 kind of advice, right? So you know, for, for the next generation, you know, this, this navigating the professional ranks of football is, is different than it was before. Um, one of the things that you just alluded to very, you know, a few minutes ago was kind of understanding that this is a business as, as, you know, as much as you may love someone or your coach, or your teammate, this is a business. So I have two questions that are kind of packed in one. Uh, one is, you know, knowing what you know now, what, if anything, would you have done differently? Um, and then the second thing is uh, what advice would you kind of give to the young guys that are coming into the league now that actually, you know, some are about to get drafted this week. I, I think uh, knowing what I would, what I know now, I think the only thing I would have maybe done differently, which I pretty much already said was somehow figured out a way to make it work in Cleveland. Mm. You know, I mean, 
and and it's, it's, that's kind of hard to say because the team ended up moving anyway. Right. But 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 I I think uh I, I wouldn't have been so adamant about getting out of Cleveland. I would have been right. like, I can stay here. We can work this out. As long as we're winning eleven games, going to the playoffs, and 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 winning games, I'm I'm considered one of the stars here on this team. So it will work out. You know, it will work. So I guess that would be uh, one thing that I, w- I would probably change because, like I said, I want to play in Cleveland. I wish I would have played in Cleveland my entire life. And so, uh, moving forward, I, I would say that's that's one thing that young players have to take into consideration. I mean, you know, when you when you're looking at you're looking at it and moving from team to team, of course you're getting lots of money, but but sometimes you want to win. I mean, if you have if, if you're the way they get paid right now, if you have if you get fifty million dollars uh, from a team that uh, that you're with, and another team offers you fifty two million, but they're gonna lose, why? What, what's the point? Right. You know. And so I, I think I think a lot of guys have to have to think about what's really best. Not 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 at that very moment, but long term. Because we all we all want to be happy, or we all want to be successful. We all want to get paid as much as we can. But in, in everything you do, I think you want to you want to feel good about doing it. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and you yeah. want to be able to do it to the to the to the best of your ability. And so, you know, I, I've asked kids that I've coached uh, when I when I coached football years ago, uh, if you had an opportunity to to make just throwing numbers out there, a million dollars to play football, but nobody knows you. Would you take that over 500000 to play and everybody knows you? And what does everyone say? They're going to take the million dollars. Me, I say I want the five hundred because I want to know that I left an imprint on this game. I want people to know me because I did something. I'm not worried. About, I, I, I'll take care of that other part later. I want to feel like I contributed to the success of this league. Speaking of that, actually, you know, what do you think your legacy actually is? And I guess the other question is, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now, when they talk about Eric Metcalf, what is it that you hope people would say? Uh, he can do it all. Mm-hmm. That's not, that's what I want people to be able to say. I want people to look at film. I want them, well, they will see that lined up everywhere. I mean, running yeah. back, receiver, kickoff, return, punt returner, lined up the quarterback against the Bengals and threw a pass. <laughs> and, Mike, and Mike Tomzak dropped it and even threw a touchdown pass out of the backfield. So I want people to be able to say that he, I could do it all, but I, I think if if I had it my way, I would I would like people to take uh, to to really look at what I did. I mean, and I don't really talk about it much, but seventeen thousand yards is a lot of yards, especially especially a lot but mm-hmm. uh, ten years ago. That's, mm-hmm. and that's 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 a lot of yards, and, yeah. and to to get seventeen thousand yards and not really even have the ball that much, I, I think is 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 a lot. And and so when I, I think about how people think about me, I think most people think, oh, he was a punt returner, you know. Yeah. But when I think of myself, I think I'm a football player. Right. I play 
many different positions and could and could do many different positions well. And so I think that's what makes me a football fan. That's what I wish people really saw me for. I honestly don't think that we've seen a player quite like you even today in today's game. There are guys that catch the ball, but like you said, you actually lined up at receiver and ran real routes. You weren't just catching little screen dink and dunk screen passes (laughs) and turning it into something. Do you think that there's, there are players, I mean, we were talking about this earlier and the closest we thought was maybe Le'Veon Bell, but are there, any players in today's game that that you think have the same skill set or similar skill set as you do? I think I think Alvin Kamara. Yeah. I mean, Christian McCaffrey has done it, but I don't know how he would do it if he tried to really line up at receiver. You know, I mean, he catches a lot of balls, but if he really tried to line up at receiver, would people still fear him the same? I don't know. He's a very good football player; he can do it all. But that's that's that goes back to my point. That's why I want. That's why I like people to look at me that way because I, when I think of myself, I could do all those things, you yeah. know. And and that's and and I don't and I don't think that that people really think of me as like think of me that in that way, and in which I think they should. Yeah. And if yeah. they really and if they really thought of me that way. I think I would have a yellow jacket, <laughs> but they don't. But, yeah. but they don't. Does that, they does that to, hurt? Does that hurt? I mean, does that piss you off? Like when you, in your honest moments, like does that piss you off? Like that you don't have the yellow jacket yet? Yes. Yeah. And and and, I, and it does more so because when when they when they when you talk about me and and whether it be going to the Hall of Fame or whatever, everybody thinks punt returner, mm-hmm. right? But but when you put me on. The, the Hall of Fame list, I'm listed as a running back. Yeah. And and so it's like it's like torn. You call me a, a punt returner and you don't let me in because I'm they don't let special teams players in, but then you line me up as if you put me on the list as a running back, which right. we know I didn't rush for thousand thousand yards. Right. Right. But yeah. not many people have seventeen thousand yards. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, it it, it does us I mean I mean because once you get to a certain level, now you want to be at the highest level. And there's only what couple been three hundred people in the Hall of Fame and to be in that group would be very special. But not being in that group doesn't take away from everything that I accomplished. Because yeah. I felt like well, I if had it's, if it's any consolation, you're definitely you're a Hall of Famer to us, trust me. <laughs> yeah. A lot of people. So I mean, you know, at least you have that, trust me. Some people don't even have that. So <laughs> Yeah, sometimes the way that they evaluate these things are too too restrictive. And I think if they like you said, if they evaluated your career as a whole, there's been no player like you. I honestly believe that. I have watched football for about 30 years, I haven't seen one like you since, especially at the NFL level. So, you know, hopefully, it, you know, they, they, they change their minds and you get in, get in here soon. Yeah. Uh, hopefully one day, but once again, if not, I appreciate the fact that you guys feel that way. And I appreciate uh, the time that I had as a player. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. We're going to get you out of here on this. We have, you know, we're going to switch gears completely. We have two kind of, off the, you know, fun questions that we like to do with all of our guests before we go, um, just to switch it up. So the first question is, 
what are, who are your top five musicians of all time? So people who influence you personally. Um, it could be through your childhood. It could be now. It could be any combination. Um, obviously, it doesn't necessarily mean just the best, you know, best, but just personal list, top five musicians. Okay. So I'm going to do it like this. I can't say they're, they're my top five or my my favorite, but if you, you put me in a room and said these are the only five people you can listen to for for the rest of your life, isn't that what we're like right now, like in quarantine? <laughs> <laughs> Teddy Riley's dropping off some people's lists right now, unfortunately. So, so that's what we're going to do. I'm going with Michael Jackson. Mm-hmm. I'm going with Notorious D.I.G. Yes. This might be a shocker, but I absolutely love her, Erica Badu. No, it's not a shocker at all. <laughs> yeah, Erica. Um, yeah, I get now because you got you got so many people. I know, right? You had so many people. I, I I need somebody who's gonna be some entertainment. So I need Chris Brown to come in there and dance for us, but also him and Mike having battles. Okay. Right, right, right. He's that the would be amazing from a dancing perspective. Sure. And then, and then, because from from the time she was Penny on Good Times, I had a crush on Janet Jackson. Ah, I love it. I love it. I like, that's a good list. You got two Jacksons on there. Yeah, I got two Jacksons. Yeah. And in the and now this one's going to be in your wheelhouse, probably um, your top five athletes of all time. Oh, mm-hmm. oh. oh God, that's tough. Don't be afraid to put yourself on there, eat too. Oh, you that? <laughs> no, I, I would. I'm, I wouldn't do that. But um, Carl Lewis. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michael Jordan. Um, see, man, Carl Lewis, Michael Jordan. Um, see, do I put who I think is the greatest football player of all time? Uh, you gotta tell us who that is, regardless, because now, now we're curious. See, see, I see. I'm, I'm like torn. I have one A and one B. And so, one A and one B football players for me are uh, Jim, of course, because he's one of the top athletes in the world. So you got to put him in there. But but my one B is Prime, mm-hmm. and and my and that's because he could do it all. Yeah, yeah. I'm into people who can do a lot of things right. and make you a, a real football player. So so my list right now I have Carl Lewis, Michael Jordan, Jim Brown. Uh, because he's the greatest, Muhammad Ali. Yep. Serena. Yeah. You're yeah. coming with it with these lists. <laughs> yeah, this, this, this is a fire <laughs> list. One other question that you just made me think of before, we, very last question, and we'll get you out of here, is you mentioned Michael Jordan, obviously, and obviously, you know, his documentary, The Last, Last Dance, just 
came out, debuted season one and two, and we've been recapping it too. What are your thoughts on on just kind of that that Bulls era and and kind of the documentary itself? You know, I'm a Knicks fan because mm. I, I because I love Patrick Ewing when he was at Georgetown, and so I'm, I'm a Knicks fan. So I I, I kind of hated Michael in the respect of we couldn't get past him. Right. Mm-hmm. But but there's no denying that he's the greatest basketball player in history. And I just and I and I love being able to, to watch this because the fire in him is what made him who he is. You know, mm-hmm. he's the, that's why they have six championships because the way he talked to his players and what he expected of his his, his teammates and and in the front office as, as well, and and I and I think I like when uh, I think it was Roy Williams who said he he had a, some people have a switch and he never turned it off, mm-hmm. re- regardless of who he was playing against. Yeah, you know, yeah. and 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 that's when when you're when you've been cut from teams when you've been told that you can't do something. He worked to become the greatest basketball player of all time because people told him he couldn't do it. And I really appreciate that. Yeah. It's funny. It seems like there's a lot of similarities in terms of mentality um, between you and him. Obviously, he's one of our favorite basketball players, both B and I. And you're one of our favorite football players. It's just amazing. It's like still surreal that we're talking on the phone with you. But thank you so much for joining us on the Pilot Boys podcast. This was amazing, amazing interview. And I know you could be doing a lot of other things. So we really, really appreciate you taking out the time. Well, no problem. But there aren't many things I could be doing right now. (laughs) (laughs) We should be doing doing too full of ourselves. No, 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 I'm just kidding. I could be cleaning the house, right? Yeah, of course. No, thank you so much, though. You're definitely good at dodging people at the grocery store. That's for sure. (laughs) (laughs) You guys, thanks very much. I appreciate your support for sure. All right. Take care, man. Have a good one. All right. You too. Be safe. Love the Pilot Boys podcast? Support us on Patreon. Supporters can pledge as little as $1. We have some cool perks on there. Check out www.patreon.com forward slash Pilot Boys podcast. Show us some love today. You're listening to the Pilot Boys podcast. Wow, V, I mean, what the fuck, man? Like, we just had <laughs> Eric Metcalf as one of our guests on the Pilot Boys podcast. You know, this is a childhood hero. This is not a joke when we say that. You know, we started this podcast less than six months ago. And, you know, we are we have one of our childhood heroes on the podcast. I mean, like, what? Like, I'm still kind of like, I don't know. I'm, what, do you, what do you feel, man? Like, what, do, what are your thoughts on that? Like, that's crazy. Yeah, I mean, I think as a kid, you know, first of all, Eric Metcalf, as a Browns fan growing up in in the, those years, he was all of our favorite players, right? He was mm-hmm. he was just more exciting than everyone else, <laughs> right, right? And 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 it was just unbelievable to watch him play the game of football. It was like every second yeah. you were waiting for him to score a touchdown. But also, right. it's like when I was a kid, I was like, damn, I wish I could get Eric Metcalf's autograph. I wish I could, right talk to him for five minutes to get an hour and 15 minutes to kind of ask him all the questions that I wanted to ask him when I was a kid. Um, words, oh, yeah. it's, it's, it's very surreal. It's very surreal. Yeah. And so, you know, you know, the thing that 
kind of there's first of all there's so many things that struck me about it uh about just you know kind of our conversation with him um and i even told him one of them which was just his self-assuredness throughout every period of time in his life you know starting all the way to his freshman year in high school and probably even before that where he was just like look i'm i know what i want i know what my worth and what my value is and i'm going after it some people might look at that and say ah this is just an entitled kid who has the son of an nfl dad is just a brat but I don't look at it that way. I look at it as someone who said, listen, I'm a self-assured. I understand how these systems work. And I understand how you guys, you know, use people up and spit people out. And I'm not going to let you guys do that to me. I'm going to actually become what it is that I want to become. And I'll deal with the consequences if if you guys don't want to let me do that. To, to achieve, like, success and, and be above average in anything in life, the the this common thread is an unwavering belief in yourself. We know a lot Mm -hmm. of successful people and and the people who are most successful in our network, it seems they all have that, right? It's like there might be some insecurity that drives them um, to be better, but they at their core believe in themselves. And I think that that's the takeaway from, from Eric Metcalf is yeah, you, you may not put me in the hall of fame, but I know what I did and what I accomplished and that I deserve to be there. Um, and I th- yeah. and I think that that's all we can do is because none of us will ever necessarily get the respect. You see it even with Michael Jordan. Now it's like, everyone's looking for, to find who the guy that's going to be better than him. It's like, let's just appreciate him and then also appreciate the greatness of the others as well. Right. And that's why I think it's also important. And, you know, to tell people how, how they feel, how you feel, you know, like it's not, oh, we're not over here fanboying, like, oh my God, you're the greatest ever, like just randomly. Like, no, we actually believe the things that we're saying. We do believe he's a Hall of Fame player. We do, you know, wanted to, wanted to tell him about all the moments that he created for us when we, were, when we were kids. I think it's, you know, we get into a culture a little bit sometimes where people are afraid to tell people stuff and they don't want to look like they're dick riding or whatever it is. But like, nah, let people give people their flowers while while they're here. And let people know that they're appreciated because sometimes the way that they feel like they want to be appreciated, for example, the standard that the gold jacket or yellow jacket, you know, he's not, he may not ever get it, but to many, many millions of people or hundreds of thousands of people, at least across the country, he is a hall of fame guy. And I, so, and I think the other takeaway from this is I feel like we live in a culture today. Um, you know how much I love history that we don't, fully appreciate the history. This is a guy that played in the late eighties and nineties, but he was still a superstar. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's like knowing and understanding his game and what made him special is still valuable, even though he played almost 30 years ago. Right. And, and, you know, he, you know, he mentioned that Dion Sanders is kind of his one a in terms of who he thought was kind of the go to football. And, um, you know, it wasn't too long ago, a couple, maybe a week or two ago, where Deion Sanders was kind of gushing about Eric Metcalf as well in terms of, you know, how talented of a player he was. And so he also, he definitely gets that respect as well, even, you know, from, from the greats. And so, again, I'm, you know, I'm just, I'm still a little, you know, speechless kind of about the fact that he was on the podcast. But I think more important than even that was just the dimes that he dropped, the advice that he gave to the young guys, you know, kind of just, you know, the example that he's become of kind of how to navigate through this business and, and the honesty that he had of what he would do differently and so on and so forth. I think it was just great. That was my favorite part of the interview. Like when he, when he actually illustrated, you know, that money isn't everything all the time. Yes. 
mm-hmm. we all want to make a lot of money, but he said his biggest regret was leaving the Browns. Um, mm-hmm. And he appreciated that in hindsight, right? He didn't appreciate that at the time. But, you know, those are things that we all should think about. We see it all the time. It's like players who play on great teams leaving to take that big payday. And although they may have all the money in the world, they're not quite as happy. And, and losing is miserable when you're a competitor, right? So I just I just really liked um, his insight onto that, in, in, into that aspect of things. Yeah, that was great, man. And so, you know, we uh, obviously, hopefully we'll, you know, keep talking to him and, you know, and keep developing a relationship there and maybe have him on again. And, you know, there's still other things that we probably want to talk to him about that we didn't get the chance to talk to him about. But for now, um, that was, that was absolutely amazing. And it was great for Browns fans. It gives us all something to be, be excited about because he seems very optimistic about, about where we're headed. Amen. You listen to the pilot boys podcast. Also want to give a major shout out to Premier Podcast for helping us set up our home studio during this quarantine period. You guys got to check them out, man. Go to their website, premierpodcast.com. They're helping out during this shutdown with free 30-minute coaching sessions to help anyone get their podcast started. And also follow them on social media at Premier Podcast. That's all we have for today's show. Big thanks to our guest, Eric Metcalf. Thanks to everybody for listening. Don't forget, sharing is caring. Subscribe to the Pilot Boys podcast on Apple, Spotify, Patreon, and YouTube. And please follow us on social media at Pilot Boys Pod on Twitter and at Pilot Boys Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. And follow the hosts on Twitter. I am at Mechadon Music and V is at The Swan. And don't forget to grab some Pilot Boys wristbands at shop.pilotboys.com. Always remember, be you. You is fly. Pilot Boys out! Pilot Boys